Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 345, and I had a conversation with Sheldon Epps. Sheldon is a renowned television and theater director. He's author of My Own Directions, A Black Man's Journey in the American Theater. And he was the longtime artistic director at the famed Pasadena Playhouse here in California. He's currently the executive producer and directs episodes for the hit Netflix show, The Upshaws. And he conceived and directed the Duke Ellington musical Play On, which received three Tony Awards and nominations and was produced at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, where it received four Joseph Jefferson Awards. This summer, he'll be directing the acclaimed musical Personality about Lloyd Price at Chicago's Studebaker Theater. And he directed a couple of my favorite shows in the whole world, Girlfriends and Frasier. And so that was really neat for me to be able to talk with him. Check out Hey Human Podcast for links and to learn more about my guests and the show. Check out SusanRuth.com to learn more about me and my other artistic endeavors. And follow Susan Ruthism on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And Hey Human Podcast on uh, Instagram. <laughs> That's where you'll find that one. Oh, and Facebook. That's right. Uh, find my albums on Apple Music or wherever you get your music. My most recent album is called All I Ever Wanted Was Everything. And please check out my relationship and sex show, Are We There Yet?, with sexologist and healthcare practitioner Mara Edelman. It's on YouTube. It comes out every two weeks. This Friday is a new episode. Uh, you can find that at youtube.com slash show. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. Stay safe. Be well. Take care of each other. And here we go. Sheldon Epps, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to talk with you. Yeah, and a shout out to Jeff for connecting us. <laughs> yes, Jeff, who I'm working with right now on a project for Chicago for next spring, a new musical called Personality. Yes, I'm so excited about that. And he he's such a love bug. He's such a good guy. Um, we hit it. Off. I interviewed him for the show a while back, yes. and we hit it. We hit it off, and have been friends since. And so, yeah, we'll get into all the the personality and everything like that. But we're going to start with you and childhood, and you grew up here in Los Angeles, correct? Well, half and half. <laughs> I was I was born here. I was born in Compton Hospital in Southeast LA, and lived in that area until I was. Uh, 10 or 11 years old, and then moved with my family to Teaneck, New Jersey, right outside of New York City, and lived on the East Coast and went to school on the East Coast, and then lived in New York City for many years after college before I came back here. And I've been back, been back on the West Coast for about 25 years now. Was it a big culture shock as a kid going from LA, which you know, diverse and all that. I'm sure in, in New York and Jersey, it was diverse, but I feel like there it was a little bit more uh, in sections. Everybody kind of hung yeah. out with their own. Well, it wasn't so diverse. <laughs> Frankly, on either side, it wasn't so diverse. I lived in an all black community, um, great community, but, you know, rarely, rarely saw people 
other than black people, unless we were out shopping or at a restaurant or something. But in our immediate community, it was all black. And then when I moved to Teaneck, New Jersey, um, it was integrated at that time, but predominantly Jewish. And because I guess I was kind of a smart kid or whatever, the classes that I would be put into were almost all white and Jewish. I was the only black kid in many of my classes. So uh, yeah, culture shock would be the word. Suddenly hearing words that I'd never heard before and talk about foods that I'd never heard before and holidays that I didn't know anything about and, you know, language, chutzpah and oive and, you know, just expression <laughs> come into everyday conversation that I'd simply never heard before. So culture shock would be uh, an apt expression, yes. Were you into theater as a kid or was that something that came on later? Uh, it really came on later as a result of this move. Um, I, I'd seen a couple of things on the West Coast, but wouldn't describe myself as a theater lover. Um, but Teaneck was close enough to New York City that uh, you could hop on a bus, which I did with my mother, and started seeing uh, big Broadway musicals, uh, first with her. And then when I was a little older in high school, I got very, very brave and would jump on the bus by myself and go over and see matinees of all kinds of things. I was kind of a strange kid and that I would, I'd see anything and everything, you know, I continued to see musicals, but I would also see Shakespeare plays and um, Noel Coward plays and Stoppard plays and, you know, just all over the map, <laughs> usually drawn by the artwork. If a, if a show had good artwork on its cover, I'd say, oh, that, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll go see that. I started falling in love with going to the theater. And at the same time, in junior high school and high school, I started doing plays. Uh, so really it wasn't until my senior year, though, I sort of decided that that's what I wanted to do as a career. Do you remember the first performance you went to? I, my mom, the first performance she took me to was at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle. Yes. I and I remember that. I was about probably about eight years old and just being so blown away. Like what is happening in front of my <laughs> eyes right now? Yeah. Did you have that same reaction? I, I, I did certainly when I saw my first big Broadway musical, which as I remember was hello Dolly, which was oh, yeah. so, so big and so bright, so colorful. So I did my, my first actual theater going experience. You will, you and others will think I'm making this up, but I went to see this play on a Saturday morning, miles away from where I lived. And it was a production of Member of the Wedding with Ethel Waters, the great, great Ethel Waters. And that was, you know, a pretty dazzling experience. Um, but the great thing about this story is I saw that production at Pasadena Playhouse and would return to Pasadena Playhouse many, many years later as artistic director. So long time connection to that theater. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting how life has a tendency of drawing you back to certain momentous moments. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess there was something faded about it. F-A-T-E-D, not faded, fated. Yeah. To uh, have started my love affair, at least as an audience person, 
at Pasadena Playhouse and then to be there again many years later, first directing, first freelance directing, but then for two decades <laughs> as uh, as artistic director. So Legendarily so. I mean, it, I feel like you're you, when people hear your name, that's what they think of. Uh, yeah. As far as the Pasadena Playhouse, they hear your name and they immediately go, oh, Pasadena Playhouse, you know, aside from the fact that you have done the Broadway, big shows, you've done television and film. No, I think certainly in, in, in the field, in the business, most people connect me most most strongly with, with Pasadena Playhouse because that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty long tenure of, of people who did it of my generation. Mm-hmm. Although on television, you have two of my favorite shows that you directed, and that's uh, Girlfriends and oh. Frasier. I oh. loved Girlfriends. I watched it all the time. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All the time. And, you know, I did that for five years, the first five seasons. So, yeah. Really part of helping to form the show and nurture it, you know. Mm-hmm. And great show and hell of a cast oh they were wonderful God, so talented such a great comic timing i love that kind of situational comedy that it's got the drama you know woven into it but not yeah. drama that's sort of like that would never happen it felt really real to me so yeah no it was a very honest show and you know it was a situation comedy yeah but it, no, it wasn't afraid to be unfunny sometimes that's it's, what i mean yeah issues and, yeah you know. So you get out of high school and you've done, you've, you've dipped your toes in the well of dramatics. Did you think to yourself, okay, I want to, I want to try acting out as a thing or directing. When did that start occurring to you? Uh, it was acting initially, because as I said, in junior high school and high school, I started doing plays um, and loved, loved being in that community and loved working in the theater, working as an actor. Uh, so I decided that I wanted to be an actor. And uh, my parents were really pretty good about it. They said, okay, if that's really what you want to do, we'll support that. But they did say you have to go to college. You can't just go across the river and go to HB Studios or AMDA or one of those schools. You have to get a college degree. So that led me to uh, Carnegie Mellon University, which had one of the best training programs for actors, one of the oldest drama schools in the country. So I went there uh, and stayed there for four years, graduated and uh, started acting right away and acted for about five or six years after that with some varying degree of success, you know, with commercials and soap operas and off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. But was a little frustrated and didn't love auditioning and, you know, always being on the hunt for a job. So I got together with four friends of mine from Carnegie and we literally built a theater over the course of a summer in a tiny space in Chelsea in New York and opened a theater company. And uh, that's where I started directing. Okay. Were you terrified or did you think I was born to do this? This is a good story, actually, <laughs> because uh, I didn't think I was born to do it. I thought I was going to be an actor. But one of the, the four that I started the theater with was a very talented young director named Norman Renee. 
and uh, he was really sort of the artistic director among the four of us and directed more of the plays. And he, he came to me about our second year of running the theater company and said, you know, when I am directing you and you and I have a disagreement, um, though I would never admit it at the time, I usually think that you are right. <laughs> and I usually come around to your point of view two or three days later and try to claim that it was my point of view for the beginning, <laughs> which is a very honest, generous thing for him to say. And he said, I think that means that you, you really do think like a director. You really think about the whole as opposed to just your role in the thing. Um, so he said, you know, we have trouble finding directors that we really love to work with. So why don't you just try it? Why don't you do it? And because I respected Norman and, you know, had uh, real admiration for his taste, I said, well, if he thought that, if he thinks that, then that must be true. So I started off very modestly, very humbly, doing A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> um, this humongous production. <laughs> yes. it, you know, go, go big or go home. I, I mean, why not? <laughs> if I, was gonna, I was either going to prove that I'd be okay or that it was really wrong for me completely. So, you know, it was, it was a fast method to get there. But it did go well, and then I started directing more than I was acting and not missing acting. So I was happy where I was. Yeah. What, did you write any of your plays that you did? Um, I didn't write any of them. I don't think of myself as a playwright. Uh, I have conceived shows, meaning taken an idea and put it together. Mm -hmm sometimes written some interstitial material or worked with playwrights to form the whole thing. And uh, I did one of those there at that small theater, the production company, I did a production called Blues in the Night, which then went on to Broadway and London and all over the world and all over the States. And that became kind of a calling card for me as a director. When you got your first Broadway show, because I understand there's Broadway, there's off-Broadway, as you said, there's off-off-Broadway down the line. Uh, can you talk about the for your first experiences with doing Broadway and how that felt different from all the other things you'd been doing? Yeah. Well, my very first Broadway show was, uh, again, out of the production company, out of that tiny theater. And we did a, um, a new play called Scenes and Revelations. And it was a very beautiful play, beautifully written play about four sisters uh, over the course of their lives. And on the very last day of the run, a man, a very well-known man in the theater named Ted Mann came to see it. And Ted uh, was the founder and long-term director of Circle in the Square Theater, which had not too many years before that, moved from Off-Broadway to a Broadway space, a beautiful Broadway theater in the round. And uh, he happened to have had an open slot. I think something had dropped out or somebody was going to do something and then they couldn't. So he suddenly had a hole in the schedule. And he came to see this play on the very last day of the run and said, I'd like you to bring it to our theater. And I think that I may have been about 28 at the time. 
So, you know, to suddenly find out you're going to do a Broadway show at the age of 28 was pretty flabbergasting. And um, I don't ever remember being sort of overwhelmed by it. I was certainly grateful, obviously, and flattered. But, you know, it was all about, okay, just go ahead and do the work, you know, do what you do what you've been doing as an actor, do, do what you've been doing as a director and uh, see what happens, you know? But I didn't, I don't remember sort of buckling under the Broadway pressure, you know, which I understand people will do and I can understand why they do it, but um, I was okay, you know? Because you came from a history of acting, do you think that that gave you uh, an insight to, directing that maybe some other just directors don't have because you don't yeah yeah absolutely i any young director who comes to me and says you know how should i get ready to be a director i say well the first thing is take an acting class and they'll say well i, I don't want to be an actor i just i know i want to be a director and i say okay great take an acting class because it teaches you the language to speak to actors you know and really you have an understanding of, of what is helpful and what is not helpful, you know? And um, literally there are words and phrases that, that I know from my time as an actor and my acting training that I use to this day, you know, in rehearsal that I simply would not know if I'd, if I'd never acted. Somebody asked George Balanchine once, can you be a chore choreographer if you've never been a dancer? And he just started laughing. And the interviewer said, well, why are you laughing? Is that a stupid question? He says, no, it's not a stupid question, but how would you know what to say? <laughs> and, and I think that's great. You know, how would you know what to say if you've never done it? Yeah. And I think the language of anything, we're, it matters. It matters how you say something. Uh, I'm learning that right now. I'm, I'm going to be working on a project and I have a mentor who you know, I'm describing what I'm seeing on this project and he's translating it back to me saying, okay, you're saying this word, but what you really mean is this. Because when, if you say one, this one thing, the people around you are be like, I don't know what that means. I was like, holy crap, there's a whole language I need to know. Yes. No, I think that's true. I think every, every great craft, whatever that craft is, you know, mm -hmm. art, writing, acting, music, dancing, Every sculpting, <laughs> every yeah. great craft has its own language, you know, and you may use the same words, but they have different meaning as applied to that, that particular craft. So, yeah, I think studying acting and studying the craft of directing so you have the right language and the right tools to do it is really important. You know, when, when I talk to younger kids who say, well, you know, I don't want to study, I just want to act, I just want to direct. I always say, well, would you want a brain surgeon who hadn't been to medical school? <laughs> they open up your head if they had never been to school. And they go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. So <laughs> I do think it's very similar, you know. The theater is ma it should be magical, but it's not magic. <laughs> right. You know, well, then when you... Craft involved. Yeah. When you stepped into television, then... Uh, did that did that take the learning curve or was there enough of a, a similar language between the two especially in a sitcom with the you know multi-cams 
a lot of sitcoms feel like a play, but I know it's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Uh, there was one part of it that, that came to me quite naturally, which is working with the actors and working within the box sets, which actually are very similar to, to what you see on, on a stage. So that part was easy, but learning, really learning the, the craft, the technique of working with four cameras at a time um, and editing in your mind, you know, as you're shooting, you, you, you learn the craft of which camera you're going to cut to when it's cut together. You're not actually doing it on the floor or in the booth, but you are, I am doing it in my head. And to be able to think that way and think that way quickly and to say, oh, I know what I'm missing before we leave this scene, uh, that took me a while. And I had to do what's called observing, which is basically like a waitress who's trailing another waitress. I had to follow behind other directors and you know just be around sets and be around cameramen and all of that to learn all of that. Yeah, that's why the that masterclass program is such a delight because you can shadow these incredible people in their craft and I mean they didn't have that 30 yeah. years. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, listen, <laughs> I wish I'd had masterclass, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I <laughs> it would have saved me. I I'd have gotten a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you, and this is sort of like picking your children, I suppose, but do you have a preference between the stage and the television? I don't have a preference I, because I do think of them as completely different things, you know. I, I don't have a preference between Chinese food and Italian food. I just love both, you know. Um, the difference, the, I will tell you, the, the thing I love about working in the theater is you get more time. You know, mm -hmm. you get to rehearse a play at least over three a three-week period to really dive deeper and deeper and examine it further and further. Television is very fast. You know, you mentioned Girlfriends. and mm -hmm. From beginning to end, those shows are made in five days, you know, including whatever rewrites you're going to do and rehearsing and all of that. So it's really fast. Mm -hmm. um, but there's there's a kind of challenge and fulfillment with getting it done that quickly and knowing okay this is monday we're going to sit down and read this thing and by friday evening we will have made a television show <laughs> you know and and that will be it that's the way that thing will live there is a there is a kind of thrill to that that's different than the thrill of working in the theater what do you do about criticism because i think a lot of creatives even if they've been doing it for a long time, never get the hang of accepting criticism or even not worrying about it so much, adapting, making a change where change is necessary, but not having it destroy you from the inside out. Well, I think it always does disturb you, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it always, for me, it always pings a little bit, you know. Um, but I, I will say I do try to read things and I do try to listen to things um, be, because sometimes people are just pointing out things you never thought about or uh, things that were things that you see as being very, very clear um, are still unclear 
or things things that you think are very entertaining are not so entertaining, you know? So I, I'm a big one for trying to listen really hard to it, examine it, and then take, take what's valuable and throw the wet rest away and forget it, you know? I, I said as an artistic director for all those years, and I would say as a freelance director, my job is to please all of the people some of the time. That I know that, you know, I'm never gonna do a production that makes everybody think I'm a genius. That there's gonna be something about everything that I do that some people are not gonna like, and or that some people just think that particular story should be told in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that could be valid, but to those people, I say, okay, then you go do that production your way. That's not what I'm trying to do with this production. Do you have particular stories as, I'm going to stick with theater for a second. Do you have particular stories that you are drawn to, to tell? <laughs> my, my glib answer is good ones. <laughs> I like a good story in a play. I'm not one for kind of abstract theater or you know, what was that? Was, mm-hmm. was that about something or was that? Were there 12 clowns in that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I do like plays with stories. I do like, I do tend to like real stories, meaning true stories about unsung heroes. I'm not vaguely interested in doing a play about George Washington or Truman or anybody like that, but somebody who's done great things, even on a small level that we've never heard of, or even some people did great things at a big level, but you may not have heard from them. I I like exposing unsung heroes uh, in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a play about a Southern midwife who basically, you know, served all of these poor communities in South Carolina uh, until she, and she would just do it driving around hundreds of miles every day until she managed with the help of this Life Magazine photographer to actually get a a clinic built to serve all those thousands of people. Well, that's a great story, you know, that's a great dramatic story. And a true story. And a true story. Yes, absolutely true story about Maud Callan is her name. Yeah. I love that. And the fact that that this wish of hers was fulfilled by working with this white New York photographer, a very famous photographer named Eugene Smith, uh, who did all of these photographs of her that Life magazine did not want to publish. Uh, had to be pressured and threatened into publishing. Uh, But when they finally did publish them, I think it won a Pulitzer Prize and it helped to establish this clinic. Mm. Great story, right? (laughs) You know, a story that deserves to be told that people should know. I didn't know about it, so. Uh, Yeah, I've never heard of her as well. Hidden Figures is like that. You know that movie, Hidden Figures? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know, amazing story about these incredibly brilliant black women who basically made the space program happen. Amazing. But one can't help but know that, of course, just like Life magazine going, I don't know, we don't want to put this out. If if they had been white women, there would have been 
No, yeah. of course, you're absolutely right. Yeah. We have dealt with that for a long time and are still dealing with it. Yeah, of course. As a Black man coming up through theater, coming up for acting, being a director, I imagine that that had some navigation that you had to go through. Um, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing that, that that was something like, oh my gosh, there's no way this black man can play a character. That character must be white, even though it never says there's nowhere in it that says that a character is white. I'm sure that that's something that happens over and over again. Yeah, uh, that, that is the, the center of, of my book, of my memoir, is, is about those specific challenges that the subtitle of the book is A Black Man's Journey in the American Theater, uh, which which is very specific to, to my experience. I, I had all of those things that you just mentioned happen to me. You know, a black actor can't play this role. You know, you're a black director. You can't do a Chekhov play. You can't do a Shakespeare play. You know, um, you get put into a black box. You're, you're a, a black man, so what would you know about running a white major American theater, you know? Uh, so yeah, those challenges were very much with me. And the book really is about overcoming those challenges or overlooking them, ignoring them <laughs> and move forward, you know? Um, and proving, taking away people's right to make those kind of statements. You know, I'm gonna rid you of that excuse for not hiring a person of color. That person may go on to find another excuse, but they have to face the fact that that excuse has been taken away. Mm -hmm. Listeners, the book he's referring to is called My Own Directions. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. When did that book come out? Uh, September. It's fairly new, fairly new and doing doing very well. And um, as I intended, you know, I, I've heard from some younger artists who've read the book who've said, you know, it really is giving them hope and ambition and uh, courage to do the things they want to do. How is that experience of writing a memoir of pulling out stories, which, you know, sometimes painful, sometimes funny, you know, how is it going back through your life like that? Uh, it's energizing and exhausting. It's uh, joyful and uh, sorrowful. <laughs> you know, when you when you go back and you want to write about a great thing in your life or a difficult thing in your life, to write about it honestly, you really do sort of have to put yourself back in that situation and and really. Uh, examine internally, not just what happened, but how did I really feel about what happened? You know, because, because sometimes things can happen and you just plow forward and don't think too much about how it felt, or I do anyway, and maybe that's a self-protective mechanism. So there was a lot of going back and really thinking about how it felt to have certain things said or to have certain doors slammed in my face and that was that was painful you know that was painful but necessary to be truthful in the storytelling mm -hmm. well i went and i uh, got to be on set to watch uh the cohen macbeth to watch denzel washington do macbeth uh-huh um 
I got to see the one particular scene uh, where he's he's kind of talking to himself, walking through the uh, the courtyard, and he's sent off some of his henchmen to go eavesdrop, and it was really neat to watch. I thought to myself while I was sitting there, I thought, you know, how many black men have auditioned for Macbeth to play that role and been turned away because for some reason somebody would think oh well Macbeth it can't be a black guy and then here's Denzel just killing it and to watch him he would do it and then he you know they they would cut and then he would change it just a little bit he would do it again (laughs) something else to watch to watch an incredible actor do their thing there's nothing I call it you know just turning the dial a little bit one way or the other yeah, it's really something to see it like that because you know when you when you go see the finished product, and I'm sure this is true for you, especially as a director, when as you said, you're looking at the edits in your head and to watch these slight variations and then to know when you just hit that gold mine moment. Right, right. Yes, no, absolutely. You know. Um, and we were at, talking about differences between theater and film. You know, in, in the theater, you can keep trying to develop that night to night to night, and especially over previews. And even after the play opens, you can continue to fine tune. When you're doing film or television, you're trying to grab that one time <laughs> happened and, and hope hope it's there for you to grab it. But, you know, and knowing this this is the time that it's really what I want and need. Do you have a favorite production that you've done, like an all-time high? Uh, yeah, I did a production of Fences, August Wilson's play, and through this crazy circumstance of luck and good fortune, um, I got Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fish- Fishburne to play the leads. Wow. And actually, Wendell Pierce who's on Broadway right now, was also in it, and Orlando Jones. So it was, it was kind of this perfect collision of brilliantly written play with inc- an incredible cast and hopefully my understanding of the play that, that just brought it all together in that magical way that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. How did the Pasadena Playhouse come to be that you ended up as the artistic director? What was that uh, segue into that? Well, it started when I was eight with Ethel Waters. As <laughs> uh, <laughs> but further down the line, many years after that, um, after I was had started freelance directing, this was after I'd run the theater company in New York and all of that, um, it was actually a friend of mine from New York theater days, who was at that time uh, artistic director, a man named Paul Lazarus. And he offered me a job to direct a play, uh, which I did. And I thought it would just be that one play that would be fun and nice. And, you know, nice to go back to Pasadena Playhouse at least once. Uh, But it went well. So over the next four or five years, um, I actually was in residence at a theater in San Diego, the old Globe Theater. But once a season, um, I would be asked to come up to Pasadena to do something else. And they were going through some hard times and actually had let go of having an artistic director. But around the time that I was 
leaving the old globe. I mentioned that to the man who was running Pasadena Playhouse that I was leaving. And he said, rather casually, well, you know, why don't you come up to Los Angeles and work with me at the Playhouse? And I was planning to move to LA anyway to begin my uh, television directing career. So uh, there was a lot of synchronicity in the moment of uh, what I was already planning to do in that, that invitation. Yeah, and how long were you there? Uh, I started in 1997 and stepped down in uh, 2017. So 20 Heck years. Heck of a run. It was, it was. And, you know, saw some great dynamic changes in the theater and lots of ups and downs, but, but you know, really, really good ups. And, you know, just, just knowing that you've made a change in a place and that it is a better place when you left than it was when you got there is really gratifying. When you started directing television, what were your first shows there? Uh, my very first episode was uh, the Burt Reynolds show called uh, Evening Shade. Ah, and <clears throat> man, the myth, the mustache. Yes, yeah, and he was, all of those things. Uh, <laughs> And then I started doing a show, which you probably remember, called Sister, Sister. Mm -hmm. The twins. The twins, yeah. Tia, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and Tamara. And yeah. Then I, so I did that for a couple of seasons. And that's where I really sort of learned camera technique and editing and all of that. And because it was on the same lot, the Paramount lot, as Frasier, surprisingly, out of Sister, Sister, I was asked to... Uh, direct Frasier. That must have been a blast. It was. It was. Great, yeah. great writing, great scripts, all of those great actors and one everybody loved the show. So the guest stars were great. You know, they could get oh, yeah. anybody and everybody to come on in a guest guest role. Yeah, I interviewed Ken Levine on the show. Oh, yeah. 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 We worked together for a while. Yeah, great writer. How did you end up meeting Jeff? I mean, I know Jeff is a big part of the New York scene and all that, but how did you all come together for personality? Talk, talk about what personality is, too. He's talked about it, but that was, I interviewed him so long ago. It's good to refresh everybody's memory. Mm -hmm. uh, personality is a, a bio musical about uh, a man named Lloyd Price. And you now know who Lloyd Price is, I'm sure. But, you know, when, when you first say it, I always say, do you know who that is? And people say, no, no, I don't know that who that is. And I say, yes, you do. Walk, personality, talk, personality, smile, personality. And Stagger Lee and Lottie Miss Claudie. So this long, long successful career over decades and decades, but somebody who's really known by his songs and his music, but most people don't even know his name and certainly don't know anything about his life story. And facing some of the same trials and tribulations and obstacles that we were talking about before, more of them, in fact, because he started his career way back in the 30s. Uh, but it's his life story and uh, uses his great music to tell that story. And I, um, I really got a call out of nowhere from... I guess someone else who had seen some work of mine and I happened to be in New York City 
And uh, that person said, well, can you come and talk to the producer writer, Jeff Madoff, since you're here in New York? And I said, sure. And we met that afternoon and hit it off and seemed to have uh, similar taste and ideas about how to tell the story. And that was about, I think, six or seven years ago. So we've been working on it for a while now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, COVID thwarted. Yeah, that that's true. And uh, earlier last year, about a year ago, we actually did the show in um, in a theater right outside of Philadelphia, and it was hugely successful. And you know, people loved it and good reviews. And then we got to the very last week of the run, and people started to drop with COVID like flies. Yeah, overnight. Oh, so heartbreaking. Uh, we canceled the last week of the run because we literally just didn't have enough actors who could come into the theater anymore. Yeah, but it's going to, y'all are regrouping, right? And Yes, we're doing a yeah. production in Chicago at a beautiful theater called the Studebaker Theater, which is, uh, it's an older theater. It's been there forever, but it's been newly restored and it's really, really gorgeous. And Chicago is a great theater city. So I'm sure. Huge theater city. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know when that's going to run? We open the end of May. Oh, you already had the dates. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. (gasps) Scheduled to run all the way through the summer. I need to go. I was going to go to the one in Philadelphia, but between COVID and everything shutting down, I never got to. So. Well, now you have no excuse. Now I have no excuse. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, so what's a great way for people to find you out in the world? If they want to learn more about you, do you have a website? I don't have a website, but I am on uh, Instagram under my name. Uh, I am not, I will confess, I'm not the, the, the greatest social media person, but I do try to, with the help of my friends, I do try to put things up about what I'm doing and there's information there about the book and personality and other things going on. Yeah. And I always link everything on heyhumanpodcast.com too, just so that if people lose their way, they can go right there and have all the information at once, which is handy. If people lose their way, they can come to you. <laughs> Sounds like a cult leader. <laughs> come, my pretties. <laughs> I'm, both, I'm both interested and intimidated. <laughs> what's the plan for the uh, future for what's coming after personality or do you, are you hoping that that's a long uh, as we all are hoping that's a long-term one? Well, I do hope that. Yes. And, uh, I think it will be. Uh, but uh, the play that I was just telling you about Miss Maud about the uh, Southern midwife has also been optioned to be done on Broadway I have for the past couple of seasons been working on a, a Netflix show called The Upshaws with Wanda Sykes and Mike Epps. I don't know that show. What's it about? Um, it's a situation comedy, as we were talking about before. It takes place in a in uh, a small town in Indiana. Maybe the first sitcom to be set in Indiana. And it's about family relationships. Uh, Mike is married to uh, Kim Kim Fields, and Kim Field is Wanda Sykes' sister on the show. So it's about family dynamics and, you know, life life of a middle-class Black American, working, American, working class family. 
Mm -hmm. uh, very honest, very funny. Um, but again, you know, hits, hits some hard areas and serious, serious areas as well. As a director, do you find uh, uh, how much of a influence, I guess, is the word, right word, which do you have with the writers or do they just bring you the scripts and you do it? Or do you say, hey, I kind of see it maybe doing this or that or the other? Um, well, I don't think it's my job to rewrite material. I think it's my job to illuminate hopefully material that's been very well written mm -hmm. and very well written things change when you start working on them with the actors with the performers involved um you may find you need less of something or you may find you need more of something to be clear um so those are the kind of things that i think i always think that it's my job to help a playwright tell his story well in the way that they want to tell it. As I was saying before, if I have a certain way of telling a story, I ought to write it, <laughs> not direct it. But it's my job to illuminate what a great writer has already done. Um, hopefully, <laughs> with the writer who's living, you have the opportunity to, to shape it and to bring it you know, to its real ultimate point. Mm. Uh, but I don't, I don't really think I'm, I'm there to rewrite the thing as opposed to fulfill what hopefully drew me to it in the first place. Yeah. If you were to go back in time and talk to eight-year-old you and 30-year-old you, what would you say? Uh, to eight-year-old me, I would say, you're not going to be a lawyer. You're going to be an actor and a director. <laughs> to 30-year-old me, I would say, be patient. Mm. I think at that point in my life, I was uh, rather impatient about things happening and maybe sometimes despairing that they weren't going to happen as quickly as I wanted them to. But I've come to believe that t things happen in the time that they should and at the moment that they should and at the moments when you can best um, realize an opportunity as opposed to being frustrated by it. So yeah, to 30 year old me, I'd say, be patient. Yeah, it's good advice. Is it hard to find funding for Broadway shows? I mean, is that a big rigmarole? Um, it is hard. It's, it's never easy. I think it depends on what it is. Um, I think it also depends on whether, whether it's had an opportunity to have a life before, you know, we've been very lucky with personality that we've had several steps along the way. And uh, with each step, either existing investors want to be more supportive or you find new investors, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It does always take a lot of work and people, people have to believe in you and have faith. And to a certain degree, people have to not care so much about the money. Yeah they have to be more interested in supporting the project. Yeah, to be in the, a patron of the arts. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't hurt that your name is attached to it either, I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's true. And that's why, that's why now you see Broadway productions and they have 175 names as producers because people do like to see their names there. Yeah. 
I meant specifically your name is attached to it. So that's oh, easier oh, to get wow. money. But yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope that's true, Susan. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sheldon. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been great to talk with you. Really great. Yeah. So really interesting to me uh, how the behind the scenes things and for somebody that has done so many different things, I think it's really interesting to hear the differences between the two mediums or three mediums really as actor, director, director of theater versus television. Well, yes. Well, thank you for saying that. And go read the book and you'll find yeah. out. Yeah, actually, I have a couple of people I want to send the book to also. Have a great day and stay dry. (laughs) I will try. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.